Well, good morning. So I'm Dave. I get to serve as your interim pastor during this season as the leadership team in this congregation prays into the the person assigned to the task of leading you forward as your senior pastor. So it's uh, quite an honor, and I'm grateful you this morning are the few, the proud, the cold. And I'm proud of you. Proud that you were able to get out there. You did not stick to your car handle. Well, that's nice. So welcome to the warmth of uh, Applewood Community Church. So that's a very good thing. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? And I may stop us once in the middle of our sermon to pray again. You can't pray too much, feel like. Let's pray. So indeed, Lord, we do pray that you will take and seal our hearts for thy mercies. I do feel at times, Lord, I am prone to wander. The world lies to me, and I tend to listen to those lies. And then I find myself remembering how true you are and how good you are. Thank you that your arms are always open for us to return, not just return, open wide that we might leap into them. So grateful. Father, uh, I see in the bulletin uh, a discipline of prayer for those that we are buddy taped to. And so, Father, we pray for uh, Tracy and Dean. We pray for Dale Morris. We pray for Karen and Jeremy. And and, uh, Father, we think of uh, the Nochi family for Bridget and Mike and Father, we think of uh, Sherry, Ottoman, and and uh, Joey and Cullen. We see uh, that pray, uh, Dale is on our prayer list for this week. We we get ahead of the curve, Father. We pray for them now, and give us discipline, Lord, to day by day remember each other in prayer, just as this calendar invites us. This morning, Lord, we think of the churches around us that are also worshiping in spirit and in truth. Father, we are a kingdom, and we are not alone. And so we trust you, Father, for the mercies of your spirit and truth over them this morning. I think of our sister church, uh, Grace Covenant in Lakewood. We think of uh, Faith up in Arvada. Father, we think of Guy and Charissa. Uh, Charissa, and did we lose Charissa? I think she. Oh, there you are. Would you stand for us? And would some of us gather around her and in Guy's absence because she and her broken toe? You can just be right there. She and her broken toe are about to go to Israel, and they're going to try and walk all over Israel on a broken toe. So we're just going to stop where we are. And, um, yeah, Lord, what a, what a marvelous thing you are doing by sending Guy and Charissa to Israel. We pray your blessings. We pray your safety. We pray, we pray traveling mercies more than that. All these small things. We pray your presence upon them. Uh, we, we pray that this visit to Israel will become, um, a life changing moment as they learn of the deep and, and glorious paths that you walked, Father. 
And so I pray that there would be refreshment, spiritual refreshment in the deep places of their lives that will come back and refresh us by their fresh faith. So we pray over them. We, we do pray against broken toes. Father, that just doesn't seem fair, and you know it. I don't believe that was your will, but you can redeem all things by your word. So we, we do pray, Father, we are their buddies. And so we pray your uh, adherence to them in Jesus' name. And Father, I, I also want to pray this morning. Uh, I learned uh, just, uh, just this morning uh, that uh, Tim Bowman, our, our lead guitar back here this morning, his, uh, his boss uh, passed away in a terrible car crash. And, uh, and so the Cook family is in distress. And so um, we don't know them, but that doesn't stop us from praying, does it? So we will pray. So, Father, indeed, for the Cook family, uh, Father, Mark is now in eternity, and we are unsure of his circumstances, his spiritual circumstances. We pray your mercy. We pray your justice. We pray your love over this soul. Father, we recognize that his family is, is devastated by this loss. And so we pray, Father, that you, you would comfort them. And they would know that it is your comfort. And it makes us think of the hurt and injustice in the world, the broken places where bad things happen to good people. We ask, Father, that the difficult places of our lives, the disappointments, the brokenness, Father, your gospel tells us, we sang it this morning, that you are the God of all things. All things. And so, help us in our unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. As I try and make sense of my world against the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for lingering with me there for just a little bit. You see how big my Bible is, and you see how much of it is behind Philippians. It's way at the end. So if you're trying to find Philippians right now, as I know you are, you will find it uh, way in the back of your Bible. Uh, you have Bibles in front of you. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 quite a bit. You don't have to bounce around so much this morning. So again, I invite you to bring your own Bible to be prepared to walk in, walk right in the edges of it, and uh, and there you go. So, is, is this sort of the best we can do for light up here? It might be. All right. Can we turn those back on? Can we do something for the poor blind boy? Yes, thank you. And I need one of those great big searchlights. I don't know, is anybody old like me and you have trouble? With, yeah, thank you, thank you, old people. All right. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Uh, all right. Last week, uh, just last week, we talked about how hopeful we are, how this, this book invites us to be kingdom-minded and Christ-centered and spirit-led. 
So those will be words that we come back to, not just in this series, but uh, throughout my tenure with you, those three words serve as a, a shaping reality for me, that I might live kingdom-minded, Christ-centered, his story, his message, and ultimately the Spirit who enables me to tell the message of Christ and his kingdom. So those are three big words to me, and I just wanted to reinforce them, bring them forward from last week. You remember that we are moving through the book of Philippians, and this is where Paul tells uh, the church in Philippi from the jail in Rome of his joy and his hope for the church. A man has come from Philippi all the way to Rome to bring a gift from the church of Philippians, uh, a gift of money ostensibly, and Paul writes a thank you letter back to them. He's very grateful for their love and concern. And so, and so we are reminded of Paul, this man who used to be an enemy of God, right? He, he was a persecutor of the very Christians that he now loves and serves. And uh, he was an enemy, a, a murderer. And God got a hold of his life and transformed him, changed him. Uh, as Charissa was saying, the transformed life as a result of the gospel, a changed life. And so everything changed for him. And, and I'm guessing that his story is a little like our story, or ours a little like his, in that we used to be enemies of God. And then God revealed himself to us, and we were transformed, uh, like uh, coal to diamond, like from enemies to friends, from darkness to light, from death to life itself. You see, when we say transformed, we're not talking about a small thing. We're talking about something very big. It's as though our spiritual molecular structure is completely changed when Christ comes upon us. We are no longer the same. My old self no longer has authority over me. Unless I give it to him, in which case that's always a bad plan. Yeah. So, sometimes you meet people just on the street, in King Super, at a party, something, and um, you're having a casual conversation and your eyes are a little bit open to them. And you just start watching. And there's something about their character, their carriage, there's something about the language that they use, how intently they listen to someone else's story and you think to yourself have you done this i wonder i wonder if i wonder if they're a believer you know it's not because of how they dress it's not even because of uh their vocabulary you have no idea about their moral code or whether that's strong or weak but there's something about them that shines we talked about that last week and it, and it just makes you wonder, I'm going to say it's not unusual for me when I get my bravery up to be able to ask that question in some kind of clever way. There's something different about you. What do you suppose that might be? 
It's not unusual for them to say, well, at my core is the light, the love, and the hope of Jesus Christ. So, there's something different about us that makes us shine. We talked about this last week. Uh, there's a thing called, the, the, the deaf people kind of do this. Can, can I see your shine? Has anybody got any shine in here? A little bit. You're cold. Okay. I get it. Kind of a weak shine right there, but that's all right. These people, you yourselves, are experiencing life in Christ when we shine. Did you see the front of your bulletin this morning? Very cool. Carrie helped me with this. You see this person, it's a little hard to tell. But this person's walking on a path, and this person is just shining. They're, they're lighting the path of darkness as they walk as they walk well. I love the imagery of this. You see, I, I long for us, for you, for me, to be able to live so abidingly in Christ that people would see my shine of His light through me. Not my light. My light won't help anyone. But the brightness, the clarity that comes with His light, that transforms the darkness, that makes it safe, the darkness is scary, right? Susan has a habit of moving things around. It's not great in the darkness. So the darkness can be scary. Light brings us safety and a path forward. So, so we long to be that person where the peace of God rules in their hearts, where the power of Christ is made perfect in our weakness and the life of Christ is made manifest in our mortal flesh, in Christ. That's a curious phrase, isn't it? In Christ. It's used 164 times in the writings of Paul. In him abiding in Him, in Christ, in the Lord, 164 times. And that's a curious thing. It's not like tools in a box or clothes in a closet. It's more like what happens when I'm in love. I become to identify with that person that I love. And that loves me back. I am in them. And they're into me. And so Christ invites us to be in Him and Him to dwell in us. It's all part of the Gospel. It's part of the hope that we have. This transformed life. So, we've been talking about the Gospel. Let's go ahead and get to it. The Gospel is indeed good news of cosmic proportion. So this is... When we say good news, we have to translate that a little bit. So gospel, that little word, gospel, um, o over time through various language transitions, uh, what that means is good news. Good news. Gospel, good news. So when I think of good news, I think of the fact that in 17 days, spring training will start. 
That's good news. We get baseball back. Not that we ever really have baseball here. Sorry, Rockies. But that's good news. You know what this good news that we're talking about? That's not that kind of good news. We're talking about really cosmic, incredible, mind-blowing good news. The best news you could ever imagine. We're talking about really, really best news. The best news possible. And so in order for us to truly understand what Paul's talking about here, we're, we're going to have to wrap our arms. It's really important to Paul. We can see it throughout his letters. He sprinkles this idea of the gospel everywhere. In Romans verse one, or chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew and to the Greek or Gentile, to us. Second Timothy, he writes to his friend and says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. He writes earlier in his first letter to Timothy, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That is the good news, the gospel. But in order for us to understand the good news, I think before we move into our first chapter of Philippians, we need to understand the bad news a little bit because we have to contrast it against something. And, and the bad news is, is that while God made creation perfect and beautiful and he created humanity in his own image, the only thing in all of creation, through all the stars and down to the smallest microbe, the only thing that has his image poured into it is y'all. Humanity. We live and breathe to manifest his image. We are image bearers. Sadly, we betrayed that hope. Early on, humanity sinned against God, betrayed him, and all of humanity fell into a, a darkness and a separation, actually into a condemnation. We became enemies and inclined to sin. We are helpless to escape. There's nothing we can do to perform our way out of this fallen status. So, Sadly, humanity lives in this state of despair as enemies from God. But there is good news. That bad news is contrasted with the amazing story that God decided, I want that kingdom. I want those people who will be living praise. So I will redeem them out of their broken state by paying the debt of sin for their lives. My son, my perfect son, will pay for uh, 10 billion souls and the sin that falls upon them in a single moment on the cross. And in that moment, in that fierce moment of judgment that falls upon him and him alone, he rescues those who would believe in him. And God raised him from the dead as a demonstration of his authority and the sign of his victory. 
And so our privilege now as believers is to live in the knowledge of that great, great best news that I can now live according to his purposes and I can participate in the kingdom um, expansion of the kingdom of God by my life, by my obedience, by my hope. I can experience the kingdom of God right now. I don't have to wait for heaven. So, the gospel. The gospel is for you and I. In 1 Corinthians, we read, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. And then a little bit further down in verse 3 and 4, it says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. The best news is of first importance. Of course it is. What else could be more important than the best news in all of humanity? The gospel is of first importance. You might even say singular importance. I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then Paul gives us a succinct summary of how it is that this redemption works. He says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? I love this passage. I love some of the nuance in it. If you confess with your mouth, apparently there's something about being willing to speak the reality of Jesus Christ, to literally speak the reality of Jesus Christ, to mouth the words out loud in front of people. There's something about that that clarifies and confirms in my heart and in God's ears the reality of the gospel to me. And it seals my faith in a way that allows me to say I have confessed before. Now there's another interesting thing. It says there if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Now that's an interesting thing because I know a lot of people who believe in their head. They, they, can, they can check off the box about Jesus being a good guy. They might even check off the box that he had some um, deity uh, characteristics. They might check those boxes. But I know a, a lot of people, some of them fill the pulpit, who know a lot about Jesus, but they have not, they have not believed in their heart. Those 15 inches are a big deal. So we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And we receive that news and live accordingly to the one king who is of utmost importance. Oh, we have so much to talk about the gospel. It is so good. But I want to say one more thing about the gospel. Because that gospel of salvation is amazing and beautiful. And God has found a way to cloak me in righteousness. 
if you really knew me, you'd go, that's crazy. That guy, Dave, cloaked in righteousness? He's a fraud. He's a failure. Indeed, I am. But I have been made pure and blameless by Jesus Christ. And he has cloaked me with his righteousness, and I am a changed man. And so I live in that hope now. And that hope, that gospel of the kingdom hope, means that I have a new place. I have a purpose in the kingdom. I have a community in the kingdom. And God is calling us into a glorious place of worshiping Him in the church eternal, bowing down and loving Him, singing with Him, and doing His bidding for the rest of our lives. And this community and these purposes and this salvation transforms the world. Changes us from darkness to light. I do not believe I have any time to get to Philippians today. <laughs> oh, man. I'll tell you what. I can, I can talk about the gospel. So can, can I just share a little bit more? Watch this. So the gospel of the kingdom... The gospel of the kingdom is telling us that there are two kingdoms, rival kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world, where the evil one has temporary power and authority of sorts. It's been permitted. We live in this fallen world, this fallen kingdom. That's going to be over here to your right. And God is calling us to his kingdom, to his authority. And he's established his authority by his His being raised from the dead. He has authority over all things, over demons, over disease, over death, over the natural winds. He has his authority over all things, right? Tapanta, over all things. Absolute authority. And he has called us into, into a life of being co-heirs with him. Does it just blow your mind? It should. It's amazing. It's of utmost importance. And he's invited you into this kingdom, into this ever-living, never-dying manifestation of glory, willing submission to the king. You see, this kingdom of the world will never satisfy you. It will always disappoint you. This kingdom of the world is about appearance and performance. That's how you get love. You're taller, smarter, stronger, or you drink better, swear better. Somehow, you get the respect of your peers, and the evil one lies to you and says, this is all there is. So you just struggle through life trying to make some kind of sense and purpose about it, maybe gathering wealth or satisfying your senses in some way, and so your attention is turned this way. And God says, I want you to repent. And that word repent doesn't mean cry. It means to change your mind, change your focus, to turn. He wants you to quit facing this way and embracing the idols, the disappointing and, 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 and impotent 
idols of this world. He wants us to reject them. He wants us to renounce them. He wants us to completely let them go and say, those have no authority over my life anymore. I, I don't believe in them. I don't believe in those idols. I believe in my heart in Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And then so Jesus says, well, that being the case, turn around. Renounce those. Imagine those have no authority and, and, and responsibility over you anymore. And now begin to walk toward the light. Walk toward the Christ. Walk toward the kingdom. Imagining. And what happens to that, that sin and sadness in your life as you walk away? It begins to get smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror. You didn't do a thing except set your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. You walk in a manner worthy by abiding in Christ, not by your hard efforts. You won't Bible study your way into a, into a walking in a manner worthy. You can't. You won't. You can't perform. God doesn't want you to. You can't perform or appearance your way into a vital walk with Christ. It will be by living with Him in an abiding way. So we renounce the world, and we'll have to talk about that at a future date, because we still live in the world, right? We still have grandchildren, I do, and some of you are too young. We, we have houses and things, but I don't draw my identity from those anymore. I draw my identity from Jesus Christ. My identity is not in great favor these days. I'm an old, male, white, heterosexual evangelical. I practically don't count. I don't care. I get it, frankly. Some of us old, white, heterosexual, male Christians haven't been great. We have disappointed our Savior by our poor conduct. But I don't draw my identity from whether that person acts well or poorly, I draw my identity from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He has said, I am worthy, and I take him at his word. And it doesn't mean that my life is easy, it only means that my life has purpose. And he has, in fact, said that you will have suffering, you will have disappointments, and I will be the God of all things. So, Father, indeed, um, I pray, Father, that you, you have captured the moment rather than me. And so, Father, we ask that your glory, that, that you will stir us to obedience. Father, I, I want to stop here. Eyes closed, heads down, all of us. Father, if uh, there, there may be someone here this morning who's, whose time with God has grown dry and they hear these words and they say, I wish that were me. I want that to be me. And they, they want to be known in you, but they have not really found that or felt that. And so, Father... Uh, let those souls here in this room pray a prayer something like this. Father, I hear these words of Dave and I want them to be my words. I want to be single-mindedly set on you. 
I want to receive your love. I accept the gift of Jesus Christ, His life and love. And I turn from the world and put my eyes on you, on you alone. Father, in this dry place of my life, renew me, refresh me, strengthen me. Help me in my disappointment. Help me in my disobedience. Heads down, eyes closed. If this is your prayer this morning, if it's your prayer, what I'd have you do is just look up and catch my eye, just real quick, and then put your eyes back down. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Otherwise, eyes down and eyes down. Heads down, eyes closed. Thank you. For a fresh spirit, thank you. And I'll just catch your eye and then you can put your head back down. Anyone else? Just what's that fresh wind? It's a way of confessing before God, isn't it? Just even catching eye. All right. So, Father, indeed. Any last eyes? <laughs> Father, indeed, we are so grateful. We are at your mercy. What a great place to be. In Jesus' name, amen.